Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Bible study, continuing on with the Gospel according to Luke. Before we begin, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord God, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we can embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay, so we've decided, we, I decided (laughs) that we're going to go through uh, the gospel of Luke. This is our third lesson. Um, As you open up your Bibles and you see these subheadings that you sometimes get, those are a rough guide on how we're going to be dividing this up because um, those are usually the, the thought units, right? The pericopes, we call them. Fancy word you learn in seminary. Um, so today we're looking at uh, the Annunciation, uh, the, the birth of Jesus foretold. Familiar text. We hear it every year. But we'll dig into it and see if there's something else we can squeeze out of the text. Of course, then next week we're going to look at Mary visiting Elizabeth. Um, and the Magnificat, which comes after that. Um, and so you can see that we, uh, where, we're, where we've been and where we're going. So let's read the text first. It's always good. I'm, I'm using the Revised Standard Version. ESV should read very similarly. Um, if you have another translation, an IV, that's okay too. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled as at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of, of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we're going to look this morning, and I've divided our divided our, our lesson up into five points. Five points. So I'll run through the points, and then we'll go back and we'll look at them. So first, I want you to notice the scene, the setting of the angel's visit. All right? Some of the background to, to that. Next, I want you to see the, the message that the angel brought. The message involves two thing, uh, three things. Uh, first, two things is greeting. I want you to know, let's see, first the greeting, that Mary is highly favored and she enjoys God's presence. And then third, there's the, uh, the message he gives her about her son, that her son will be Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high God. He will succeed the throne of David, and he will reign. His kingdom will be everlasting. And then number four, I want you to see how Mary responds to the message. She asks about how it might be done. She wants direction, and she accepts her situation and all the risks that it entails. And then fifth, we'll see, we'll look at some application of this to ourselves. Okay, so that's how we're, that, those are the, the five points and sub-points that we're looking at. So let's jump back in here. Um, I need a bigger desk or something. Let's jump back into the, to the um, number one. So we've got this scene. In the, it says in the sixth month. And this does not mean like in June. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean the sixth month of the year or whatever the ancient Hebrew equivalent of the sixth month was. Um, it means, uh, and what, what is it referring to? They, the text actually gives you the hint Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month after Elizabeth's pregnancy. So, right? The angel tells you that later on. I, we just want to make sure that we, we, we catch the time of year. Um, and in fact, uh, in the church year, we have um, the nativity of John. Uh, you, can, you can work that out when that would be on our calendar because we have Christmas 
is December 25th. You go back nine months, and then that's when Mary conceived, and we celebrate the Annunciation then, and then you go back six months from there, and that's when John the Baptist. So that's why, if you're ever wondering why these dates are all over the calendar, that's somebody's taking the time to pop them all around at the right spots. Okay, so I want you to notice how Luke then sets the scene up the difference. The first scene with John the Baptist was set where? Where did it take place? With that? Yes, in Jerusalem. Where in Jerusalem? No. What was Zechariah doing? He was in the temple. All right, I want you to see that, right? So here is, it comes to a priest as he's worshiping in the temple. That's the first scene. Now, Luke's setting up a contrasting picture. And on this side, where does Gabriel show up? He shows up in Galilee to a city of Nazareth. Nazareth, by the way, not very big, probably small village of a couple hundred people. Um, We see from, what is it, Nathaniel in John chapter 1 that the people had a bit of a dismissive attitude toward it. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Um, The Hebrew word means branch or shoot. It's Schutzville, right? Branch, Branchton, right? Uh, You know, Branchford, whatever. You know, however you want to put that in our own words, that's what the name means. Now, that's interesting. Why is it interesting that Jesus is born in a place called, based on the word branch or shoot? Good job. Absolutely, because of David. Isaiah 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. There's a bit of a play there, right? It's the same root word is used to create the name Nazareth, all right? Um, so, and then Galilee. Um, Galilee is in, obviously in the north, Um it's in uh, during Roman times. Uh, it was it was split. Judea was in the south, um, ruled by uh, Herod, right? And in the north, um, well, this is later. But in the north, Galilee is ruled by um, sorry, Judah, Judea in the south is ruled in Jesus' time with Pontius Pilate, and then in the north, uh, Galilee is ruled by uh, Herod. And um, there are four, two other divisions, but those, we don't need to worry about that. Um, so first, the first occurrence is in the temple. The second is in a, a, a obscure village. The first appears at the fixed hour of worship and prayer and celebration. The second, uh, it, he appears to a young maiden in the midst of pro- what probably in the midst of her everyday tasks, doesn't really tell us what she's doing. Um, yes, okay. So, um, so he comes to a virgin, a maiden, um, probably 
No younger than 12, but no older than 15, 16. Right? She's, she's a young girl. Um, they, they, they didn't have adolescence like we do. This in-between time where you're from your kid to an adult, you're just kind of thrown right into the fire uh, because, you know, you probably would only live to about 30, right? 30, 40 years old if you're lucky. Uh, the average lifespan before the advent of modern medicine was reduced. Um, so um, you didn't have time to, to play around, I guess. Um, her name... Does anybody take a guess where what she's named after? We know what she's named after. It's, it's an easy one if you remember, make the connection. It might be hard if you don't see the connection. Her name's Mary. Pardon? Mary, Martha, right. But both, both Marys. Mary is a very popular name. The five women at the cross, their names were Mary, 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 and Mary. The only reason why you would name 50% of your women characters the same names if you weren't making it up, <laughs> right? Um, they're all named Mary. Why is Mary? Okay, I'll give you another hint. In Hebrew or Aramaic, they would have spoken Aramaic. They did not speak Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. Um, it would have been Miriam. Who's Miriam? Moses' wife, Right? Of course, they're going to name their their daughters after Moses's wife, right? So I want you to see just to see where her name comes from, right? Um, Very popular name. Another popular name is Jesus. What does Jesus uh, if uh, Jesus is uh, Joseph? Right. That's the uh, Joshua. Sorry, Joshua. Jesus is Joshua, right? That's the and obviously Joshua is a very popular name. Now we say Jesus because we're tr- we're we're not tr- translating it as much as we are translating the, the Greek version of it, right? In Hebrew, it'd be Yeshua or Yehoshua, um, and, and that's that gets translated into Greek as Jesus, uh, uh, which uh, then comes into English as Jesus. Okay, so they're betrothed. Um, I want you to see that they're betrothed. Betrothal took a, uh, uh, it was a for, it was not like engagement. It was a little bit more formal than that. You, um, if you were betrothed, you weren't considered married, but you still needed a divorce to get out of it. Right? Um, betrothal took place a, for a year. So this is somewhere, and at the end of that time, you would be taken into, to live in the house of the person you were betrothed with. So, um, so Mary's a virgin. She's betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph. Joseph is of the house of David. All right, so the, we have two genealogies, right? We'll see one here in Luke in a couple of weeks. And we have one in Matthew. Why do we have two genealogies? Because there's two parents. <laughs> People think it's a big contradiction oh why did there's two genealogies no one is for mary mary is not a direct descendant of she's a direct descendant of david but she's not of royal blood joseph is of royal blood he's a direct descendant of the kings of israel um and and he's the one who matters because he um is adopted he's jesus's adopted father and thus legally jesus has the claim to the throne of david you see that 
It's not through the the ancient Jews don't consider uh, that going through your mother. It has to go through your father. Okay. So that's, I think I caught everything with the back. Oh, yes. Here we go. Um, no, no, that's, that's something else. We'll do that later. Um, just making sure we caught all the background. So that's the, that's the, the background. Any questions about the setup of, about Nazareth and about what I've said so far? As I'm making sure I caught all the, um, I catch all the background that I wanted to talk about. Okay, well let's let's go on then. The next thing I want you to see is she's met by the angel Gabriel. Um, the angel Gabriel, we we've met him before. He's one of the two archangels mentioned in the Bible. He's sent from where? From God. Right, he sent from God um, to Mary, um, and he addresses her. We'll spend some time talking about this. Um, Hail, O favored one! Of course, there's a more famous version of how this is translated. What is it? No, think of. Hail Mary, right? This is, this is uh, the Latin Vulgate says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed are thou among women. That's, and so that, become, that goes into your, your Hail Mary prayer. So let's, let's take some, a few moments to unpack what that means. Um, because we're going to encounter people who think it means something important. And so let's just take a look at that. All right, so... Um, the first thing I want you to see is that uh, the word hail, or maybe rejoice, it means the same thing. Um, it's, it's a standard greeting. Um, in, in, it's how you say hi in ancient Greek, right? It's just hello, hi, greetings, right? Um, that kind of thing. And it says, it calls her uh, oh, favored one. Literally, it says, one, hail one who has been favored by God. That's what it literally says. One who has been graced by God. Favor and grace, same thing. Don't worry about that. Well, that's what grace is. It's favor. So I want you to note the tense on that. It's perfect. One who has been uh, graced, favored. It's an action that has abiding results, right? Has been. Um, also, note, note how it's passive. If you have been graced, you are not the one who gives grace. You're the one who has received it. Do you hear that? Right? Mary is not one who gives grace. She's one who has received it. Right? Make sense? So he's, how would we translate this that in a way that <laughs> makes sense? You could say something along the lines of um, um, hail gifted one or gifted lady or highly favored one. Um, um, but I think that it's important to see that, um, yeah, it, it, that it's, it's 
Grace is, now what is grace and favor? It's undeserved favor, remember. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a similarity between those two words, grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You see how closely, how similar they are. So this is something she does not deserve. Otherwise, it's not a grace. If she earned it by her being righteous or being holy, then it would not have been grace. It would have been what she was owed, right? So even the use of this word tells us a lot and and can help us. She's called the one who's been graced by God. That means God has shown favor to her, which means she did not earn that favor. God blessed her anyway. All right, so, so he says she's highly favored or favored. That's um, important to see that um, and there's, a, there's a bit of an application here, I think. Um, when it comes to this, then, who took the initiative here? God did, right? God is the one who has blessed her, Right? God is the one who graced her. And who is she? She's nothing but an ordinary teenage girl. A a, a farmer girl from Nothingsville, you know, just probably doing her ordinary thing. And God sent an angel to her to tell her that she was in his favor. Um, God, this is a good example of how God works. God comes to us lowly nothing people and says and, and pronounces his grace to us. He calls us highly favored. This same word, karatamene, full of grace, is said to us. I think it's somewhere in Ephesians. If I can find the, the reference, I might have highlighted it somewhere in my notes. It, in Ephesians, somewhere, Paul says. That we are full of grace because of what Christ has done for us. Right? So God comes to us from the outside and he comes to us with his blessing and he speaks to us his word. You are, have found favor with God. That's the essence of what the gospel is. Any questions about this phrase? Um, um, yeah. Mary is, here's a quote from one of my commentaries. Mary is honored by God, not because of her own merits, but because she has done, or because she has done anything, but simply because she is the chosen vessel to demonstrate God's grace. That's, that's good. Um, No, doesn't say, doesn't, God doesn't always give us his reasons. Um, we can probably assume that she was fairly pious. We can tell that by her response, right? Um, she's probably somebody who went to synagogue every day. Like we can, we can infer a lot of things. Jesus had a habit of praying. He had a habit of going to synagogue every Sunday. Where did he learn that from? Well, he learned it from mom, right? That's, so we can, we can pick up some stuff like that. Okay, so next he says, 
The Lord is with you. Now, I think this is more than what we say. The Lord be with you and also with you, right? I think it's more than that. Why is it more than oh, a, a nice fancy thing to, or a nice thing to say, a nice wish? Oh, the Lord be with you. Why is it different? This is the moment of conception, right? Um, Luther says, Mary conceived through her ears. <laughs> um, uh, which is an interesting way to put it. So this is the moment of conception. The Lord is with her, i.e., the Lord is in her belly. Um, <laughs> that's, I think, an important thing uh, to see. That, and so now we we begin to understand why is she, um, why is she graced? Why is she um, shown such favor? Or She's shown such favor because the Lord is with her. He's present in her, um, literally in her womb. Um, now, she's, she's really troubled at this. She's not troubled by the angel, right? Sometimes uh, angels show up. And the first thing the angel has to, to say is, don't, don't be scared. You know, because an, an otherworldly being showing up in front of us wouldn't completely freak us out. It, of course it would. We'd all be screaming. <laughs> but Mary doesn't do that. She's, she's, she doesn't have a chance to get scared. She, he greets her, and she's immediately perplexed at what in the world does he mean by saying this to me? Um, and then he says, do not be afraid. <laughs> so uh, she probably is a little bit afraid, but it, 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 it's, um, it says she's greatly troubled at the saying <laughs> and wondering what, what kind of greeting this is. Um, I think that's, um, was there something... I want you to see something. I think it's Luke is doing something here, which is kind of interesting. Um, I think it's Zephaniah. He's he's quoting Zephaniah. He's using the I think it's Zephaniah. He's using the language of Zephaniah. Um, yes, Zephaniah chapter three. You wouldn't, you wouldn't catch it in your Bible because your Bible is translated from the Hebrew. But if, if you took a look at the, a Greek translation, you would immediately see that the same turns of phrase are being, are being used in both places. So it says um, in Zephaniah chapter 3, Shout aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice. Aha. That word in Greek is the same word as hail. Rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken the judgments away against you. He's cast, uh, um, he's cast out your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is among you, in your midst, and you shall fear no evil. And, say on, and on, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. <laughs> same, 
some of the same language, the same turns of phrase, identical, are being used in both passages. The Lord is in your midst. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. Um, so here's, um, I just wanted to show you there's some neat parallels there. Um, God, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of all these Bible prophecies that we see in the Old Testament. Okay, so first we saw the we saw the scene. Next, we've seen Gabriel's greeting. Now we're going to look at his message. He declares. Oh, by the way, before we move on, he says, "In case we couldn't understand what uh, he meant by hail." favored one he tells you for you have found favor with god you have found grace same word with god okay same thing like somebody in noah you know it says noah found grace in the eyes of god found favor then he says you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name jesus but i want you to first go okay so first he tells us that the name is going to be Jesus. Now, now we've said that the name Jesus means Joshua, or is Joshua, right? Same thing. And it means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is the Savior. God is the, is the Savior. And why? Well, in, Math, in, in Matthew's version, it says, why? Because he will save his people from their sins. All right? So he's called Jesus... Um, He's called Joshua because he will save people uh, from their sins. And like Joshua, he will conquer all of God's enemies. And our enemies are Satan, sin, and death. Or if you want, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, so um, he, will, he will do those. That's why he has been given that name. Next, I want you to see why it's important. Um, why it's important for us um, to understand how the situation Israel got themselves into. Now, where is so, at this point in time, who rules the Roman? Who rules? Um, who rules Israel and Judea? Who's in? Who's in control? Big picture. Rome. Who ruled before Rome? No, not the judges. Yes, but there's a couple steps in between. So let's start with Babylon. Babylon conquers Jerusalem in 587. They go off into exile. What happens to Babylon? Remember your book of Daniel. Persians, right? Meany, the handwriting on the wall. Meany, meany, Tico Parsons. The, right in, in a single day, Babylon falls to the Persians. Well, who beat the Persians? Cyrus. 
Alexander the Great, remember? Alexander the Great beats the Persians and who conquer, and then he dies at the age of what, 30 something? And his empire is split into four chunks, right? And so then the Romans come, all right? So there's your world history lesson. But I want you to see that David, he ruled over all 12 tribes, right? And then his son Solomon ruled over all 12 tribes. And then Solomon, after Solomon, remember, the kingdom was split into two, right? And the northern 10 tribes were conquered by Assyria and wiped right off the face of the map. There there aren't any lost tribes. They're lost because Assyria wiped them out. They interbred them. That's where the Samaritans came from, and they're gone. All that was left was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, with some of Levi. Okay? They were destroyed, or they were taken into exile by Babylon. And so, why is this history lesson important? Pastor, you're... I don't, why does this matter? It matters because think of the, uh, the implications here. Jesus is called the son of David, the king. There has not been a king at this point for 500, over 500 years. There hasn't been a king over all of Israel for a thousand years at this point already, right? Um, the, the line is destroyed. Uh, or the, the line, the, the, the royal blood still flows, but there, are, there is no um, kingship anymore. Um, the Romans are in control, and uh, you'd be silly to try to fight the Romans. Well, the Jews try to fight the Romans. Uh, they will in the, the 60s. Um, so it looks like the promises of God have stopped and come to an end right? Uh, But now God is coming into history and picking up um, where he left off, and he's moving things along. He's saying that Jesus is going to be that king, that Messiah, the promised king of of Israel, the one who will rule his people. Um, and, And I want you to see the prophecy that is being highlighted here in in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and in itself shall stand forever. All right, so you, you have the idea that God's kingdom now is going to last forever, right? This kingdom is um, going to be set up, and it's not going to be knocked down. And if you look at the, the promises to David, when David is promised that, uh, that um, his, his line will endure forever, um, He says, one of your sons will sit on this throne forever. And so now's the time. This is the, these are the prophecies being fulfilled. This is what the angel tells, um, tells Mary. And so there's a, another important point here that we can get from all this. And the point is this. God keeps his promises. 
right? He keeps his promises. He fulfills his words. And in this case, it took, it looked like it took what? 500 years, a thousand years for, for God's promise to come to, to, to fulfillment, right? God has made promises to us. And sometimes we can get impatient, right? We can think, well, you know, God, you promised to come back. And uh, I would really like you to come back now because I really don't want to have to have to vote again and deal with any more coronavirus. And I'm done. Can you just come back? Right. We want God to come back. God has promised us uh, a place at the heavenly feast. Right. Um, God has made us all sorts of promises. And we can get impatient. The people in the world are far more impatient, right? Well, it's been 2000 years. It's all just made up, right? But God keeps his promises and his timetable is not always our timetable, right? And he acts in ways that don't, that we don't expect, right? He's not coming to people. He's not coming here to somebody with a high class, you know, of the, you know, He's not going to a, a, a wealthy noble's house in the rich district of Jerusalem, right? <laughs> He's going to a nobody uh, in the backwaters, uh, somebody who doesn't have any status at all. She's not even married, right? This is how God works. He comes to nobodies like me and, and reveals grace and fulfills promises this is the god that that we have so we saw we saw that um his name is jesus we saw that he's going to be the king and that his kingdom will be everlasting (laughs) um you hear echoes of this in Revelation, which you know from the Handel's Messiah, right? And he shall reign forever and ever, right? But I also want you to see that he, besides being a human king, he's called the Son of God. So here we have that Jesus the child that's going to be born of Mary is simultaneously both a human child, the legitimate heir to David's throne, and also the very son of God himself, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Right? Both. At the same time. Right? True God and true man. And this is very important. Why is it important? Because if Jesus is not true God and true man, then he can't save you. Right? Does that make sense? Um, we, who, um, who sinned against God? Humans did. Who needs to make up for that? Humans did. Would do. Why? Because we're the ones who screwed up, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so only humans, humans were the ones who screwed up. Humans are the ones who've got to fix it. It's our problem. We did it. But we can't. Why? Because you already owe God perfect obedience. (laughs) So if you were to work and 
be as pious and holy for the rest of your life. You're not doing anything that you did, weren't already obligated to do. So if you're, if we can't, only we can make amends to God for our sins, but we can't. God could make amends for our sins, but he's not obligated because he's God. So there's only one solution. What's that solution? God must become a man. Jesus has to be both true God and true man at the same time. That's the only way that he can die for your sins. That's the only way his blood can be shed and be of infinite worth to to pay for the sins of the whole world. Make sense? So the child to be born of Mary is true God and true man. Mary is, we've, we've, the church has said from early days, Mary is the mother of God. That does not have anything to say about Mary. It has everything to say about who the child coming out of her is. Make sense? Okay, that's important. So we've got this stuff about Jesus. Next, I want you to see quickly, how does Mary respond to the message? Mary, you'll see, asks, how can this be since I have no husband? There's a difference here between Mary and Zechariah. Zechariah, it sounds like they say the same thing, but it's not. Zechariah doubted. Mary asks for instructions. Zechariah says, this is not going to happen. Come on. How is this going to happen? I'm, I'm an old man. My wife is old, right? Mary says, okay, how's this going to happen? I don't have a husband. I'm not, I, I'm right. I'm not, how does she say it? Um, I have, I, I do not know a man. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, not necessarily reservations. She's troubled at, she's probably scared. That's for sure. I mean, would you be scared? <laughs> not just at the situation with an angel talking to you, right? But um, also scared at what are people, are people going to believe me, right? But she doesn't doubt the angel. And we know that she doesn't doubt the angel uh, because of her response and what Elizabeth says in the next story. Um, but she's, she doesn't doubt. She asks for more instructions. How is this going to work? And the angel responds by telling her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The word there is used when, remember, the, the, the cloud used to come down and rest, overshadowing the temple, right? The same word is used here. God's power will rest upon you. Um, Mary's womb at this point is the temple. This is the place where God dwells, right? That's the implication here. Um, and he says, why? Because nothing will be impossible to God with God. And then Mary responds, behold, I am the servant of the word of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Later on in life, Jesus will be preaching in a, in a nice 
a Roman Catholic lady will stand up in the crowd and, and say her Hail Mary. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the, blessed, the, the breasts which you nursed. And Jesus corrects her and says, no, blessed is the one who hears my word and keeps it. Because that's why Mary is blessed among women. Because she heard God's word through the voice of the angel. And she said, let it be to me according to your word. That happens to us. God's word comes to us when we read his holy Bible, when we hear sermons that are preached from the word, when we see a baptism or when we come to the altar or when we um, go to private confession and hear the words, I forgive you all your sins. Those are all ways in which God's word comes to us. And the, and the response that we have to have is the one that Mary had. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. She gives us the best example of what, um, of what a Christian and Christian faith looks like. Um, I, th- I think that's, that's most of our lesson. The main point here I want you to see is, is Mary, uh, for application, is, is, that, is that Mary's response she, she hears the word of the Lord, and she accepts it, just even though it costs great risk to herself. With all the risks, with all the social, um, with all the social problems that that will raise, um, she takes it and submits to God's word, trusting him to do um, what, um, what he wants. And she calls herself the servant of the, of the Lord. And we don't like that. We don't like to feel that we're slaves. Um, but that's what the Bible says. We are slave, you're slaves to one thing or another. Uh, either either um, to God or to sin. <laughs> All right. We have to pray close the, uh, so he can close the uh, uh, stream. And uh, then I'll answer your question. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Uh, your word that comes to us. We pray, Lord, that just uh, like Mary, that we would be given the heart to be able to say to you, whenever your word comes to us, let it be done to me according to your word. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the same grace and bless us with the, the same blessings that you blessed her through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Yes. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at icloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.